Hello and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, Episode 10, Season 2, where today we are finishing up our series on the drama triangle, and today we're talking about healing. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's been two days since I last fell off the drama wagon. Into the drama triangle. Oh, I'm always in it. So, <laughs> yes, yes, you'll give us some insight on that later. Uh, mine was funny because um, I was backing up an RV. It was one of those funny situations. So, like, as a betrayal wound person, I'm like, I like, I like think about things. I over, I'm a six in the Enneagram, and I'm a betrayal wound person, and all those things mean that I think about things ad nauseum before they happen because I don't want anything bad to happen. But then I also have this weird people pleasing side where I won't, if someone is like very clear that they want to do something in a certain way, I won't correct them. I won't be like, no, 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 you should really do it this way. Like I, it's, it's almost like I just, I mean, I guess that's good because other people's ways may be better and they may be different than the way that I've thought it out. So we have this like 38 foot RV travel trailer on the back of the truck. And yes, it's like a four wheel drive and it's whatever. And Luke, we get home from driving, from having like done a handover for like five hours. We're exhausted. It's like the kid's bedtime. And Luke decides that he wants to back the trailer up a curvy hill. Now, I don't know if you've ever backed up something that's 38 feet in a tractor truck or ever seen anybody do it, but it requires next level skill and a very strong engine. And like, he was just, I, it was like, it was basically, it was just some, it was next level. And I got out at one point to try and help him because he kept saying he couldn't see anything, but he wouldn't tell me how he need, I needed, like he wouldn't directly tell me what his need was. He was just telling me that I wasn't helping him, but he wasn't like, stand here and tell me this or stand here and tell me this. So I was just kind of like trying to figure it out. At one point, he just kind of got frustrated and completely ignored me and then basically tried to like, he didn't actually almost ride me over in the dog, but he kind of did. <laughs> like we were very, very close. Like if he hadn't, if it hadn't gone one way or another, we both could have gotten hurt. And I got, and I got, and it's weird. It's like I flipped and I flipped into victim and I just started saying all this really unreasonable stuff because I was just like, it was like the whole culmination of the activity made it so that like, I couldn't keep my cool. Like I couldn't be okay. And then it took me like, it's taken me like a day and a half or if not longer to try and get back into like surrender. I just find it so fascinating. Um, so yeah, that was a long story. Uh, but yeah, it was stressful. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I'm, I'm really excited to hear you talk about how we, we never get out of the drama <laughs> triangle, though we shouldn't talk about that to start. We should be like, hey, you can get out of the heat of the drama triangle, even if you can't get out of I think we can accept the drama triangle. We can't escape it. Mm. We can accept it, I think, but we also, I think that there's nothing that tells me how useful it is other than the times that I've had over these last three and a half weeks now in which my whole life has changed and like everything is for the better. So like when you accept, I think it's important when we say accept, or at least from my perspective, when we say accept that you don't actually have to participate in it, even you can accept that it exists in the world and you can accept that you are a subconscious part of it, but I don't think that you need to be an active participant in it. Well, yeah, it's kind of like going back to whatever you per you resist gets stronger. Like if you push against something, it makes an equal and opposite force against you. So if you're like in the drama triangle and you're like, I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to play victim. I hate the drama triangle. You know, I don't want to play persecutor, you know, and you're pushing against it. You just make it louder. Right. I think there's I mean, that's the surrendering part, right? Yeah. The surrender is, I think, being like accepting, accepting it. And in accepting it, it doesn't have as much control over you. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that that's definitely a huge part of it. I think, I think there are some key behavior changes though, too, like not going looking for trouble is kind of, is, is what the way that I've been putting it this week. I'm just not right. looking for no. trouble anymore. I mean, I mean, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. So we'll talk about all of this today about, yeah. about the subtle truth and the apparent truth. Cause I think on the apparent level, we can make some cognitive changes and behavioral changes to 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 kind of come out of the drama triangle but on the subtle level I think it's always there I wanted to do this when we talked about healing we've talked a lot about the stuff we're going to talk about in healing and I wanted to talk about the 12 steps as kind of what is the basis for what I believe is a really good method for getting out of the active drama triangle the 12 steps is something that is there for addicts. Obviously it was originally created for addicts, but addicts can be addicts to anything. It can be addicts to uh, alcohol. It can be addicts to enabling. It can be addicts to, I don't know if, does it work that way in Al-Anon that you're addicted to enabling? I think so. Yeah. Um, narcotics. You're addicted to the person. So you're just, it's just like, you're not addicted to the drug. You're addicted to changing and fixing someone else. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that addiction is normally the addiction to the, what is a lot of these books reference as the only game in town, which is the drama triangle. It seems to be the predominant and only game in town. And that is why we, I, that's why I went originally to the 12 steps, especially because my husband is in recovery. And so for me, like, I could see how much he had surrendered to his life and recognizing that surrender was such a huge, huge key part of this. I was like, Hey, this sounds good. Why don't we do that? Cause I know one of the first two steps of, uh, the 12 steps is surrender. So the first two steps are we admitted we're powerless over our addiction and that our lives have become unmanageable and that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And then the third is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood it. Mm -hmm. And to me, I believe that those three are 
can be consolidated into the idea of surrender. So what is your understanding of surrender, Anna? That we are not the doing, we are being done. Right. Kind of like to recognize, we talked about this in a previous episode, are we the doers of action? Are we not? To me, surrender is, I can't put it into words. It's a seeing and a feeling that I am not the doer, I am being done. I think what has helped me to make it tangible is being receptive. It's the divine feminine in the sense of the divine feminine is the vessel for all of all of creation and surrendering to that means receiving without judgment because, and recognizing that everything is food, like everything is medicine, everything is food. And I know from my own experience as a feminist that it can feel really hard to do that because you have to keep your boundaries up and you have to keep your things like this. But boundaries have come up for me so, so much this week. And I think the way that surrender works with boundaries is that basically you eventually you recognize that you don't need a boundary, but we're not at that point yet. So the way that we can do tangibly do surrender is to create a boundary of something that feels safe and reasonable for us. Like this, this is not people walking all over me. This is not, you know, me getting hurt. This is not me sacrificing stuff that I shouldn't Right? Like you're not using any of the drama triangle. You're not using any of the drama triangle language for it. And you're creating boundaries that say, these are my boundaries. And everything that exists inside these boundaries, I'm receptive to, right? I think that's putting a masculine spin on the feminine. I mean, I think divine feminine is just accepting it all, surrendering it, to it all without boundaries. It is. You're, it is. you're saying you're saying in the human form, in the day to day form. I'm saying in the human form. I'm saying in the, the day to day that if you're still in the drama triangle, then you can be a doormat. If you haven't figured out how to break through the drama triangle, and then you're also doing this divine surrender, it's like a doormat to who? To anybody else who's in it. That's what I'm trying to say. Like for me, I think that creating a boundary is a healthy first step into surrender. To be perfectly honest, the most transformational thing ever is just to be completely receptive to everything without any, without any like boundaries when all of a sudden but like at the same time your divine masculine has a role in this as well you have to you have to have both the way i see it is that the divine feminine and the divine masculine are two things that exist within us if we're basically if you want to say that everybody has equal parts of it no matter what sex they display um uh wherever they are on the gender scale anything like that a gender spectrum excuse me um is that we both have divine masculine and divine feminine, and it's not at all indicative of our gender because of the fact that it is two very key, it's the sacred marriage. So feminine surrender is the willingness to receive without resistance or judgment, reaching for relief, reaching for more and better sweetness, pleasure, and gratitude in full receptivity to what nourishes and pleases me. So the boundary in that is full receptivity to what nourishes and pleases me not full receptivity to abuse. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference, right? Like that's, that's what I'm talking about, about boundaries. Like it's not okay 
feminine surrender does not say I'm just going to be okay with everything because that can be a form of spiritual bypass, right? Because you can say, Mm -hmm. you can say, oh, but, but this person's screaming at me. And it's like, I know you've done that in the past. And and it was like amazing when, when like you've been in an argument and you've just like received it, right? As like, you've just like fully taken on that divine feminine. It felt amazing. Or to give context, it was someone was yelling at me and instead of resisting it, I just let the energy flow right through me. And I'm like, it's just energy, energy at the, at its purest form. Energy is energy. And they're just giving me energy. And I was able to like, just object objectively receive the energy as energy and not label it anger or persecution or victim stuff. And it, it actually charged me up and it felt good. And afterwards the person was like, wow, that was amazing. I felt like it was transform. It was transformative for the person yelling at me to just have someone be totally open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm not saying that, that I'm always in the state of mind to be able to do that or that, you know, or, or that I would want to do that on a daily basis, right. you know? Right. And I think that's what my point is, is that like, I think we can reach to high aspirational views of the divine feminine, but if you are, if you're trying to do that and somebody says something that hits one of your tender, vulnerable parts, right? Like that hits one of your triggers or hits one of the things like we have to do the work to aspire to, to be that receptive vessel in the way that it is, but we're in a human body and things hurt and we feel pain. And so the boundary exists to how can I fully be receptive to what nourishes and pleases me? The trick is, is that when you're in the state that Anna was in, even anger directed at her nourished her, right? Right. But for a lot of us, we're not at that point yet. And that's okay. And I'm not always at that point either, by the way. I mean, yeah. that was just, I, I was, I must have been in a very centered state of mind when that happened. So, right. So, to answer your question and to talk more about the sacred marriage, we're going to talk about how the masculine has a surrender as well. Right. So, the masculine surrender is willingness to take charge of my life without guilt or shame, be in in charge and control, doing, working, and applying effort. So basically it's this idea, just to give you guys some more context, a question or the way that the surrendered masculine would would behave is in a guiding, uh, basically a guiding fashion, right? So they create structure, they support the feminine in staying connected with it's the soul's deepest intentions from which to pursue what is desired. So basically, the questions they're asking is, what is your intention in this situation? They're saying, what is needed in order to take charge of your life? What's real here? Like they're, they're, they're basically taking, as we know, the, the, the masculine, which is often a to- toxic masculine, which is a dominant and trying to, to overcome and be po- more powerful than other people. And instead saying the surrendered masculine in this divine marriage is actually just like, how can I create the structure and the action in my life without guilt or shame? Not over mm-hmm. other people, but within ourselves. So both of those are the two keys to the surrender, but we are very much on the side of the masculine and we really need to work on the feminine every single one of us it's i maybe it's a product of being in more of a patriarchal culture for all this time like whatever it is the this simple art of being receptive to what nourishes and pleases us fully receptive without judgment 
is really, really key there. Even, even just starting with, if someone says, thank you, accepting it and not thinking that you have to say anything in return, not thinking that you have to like, then go ahead and make them feel better. Like just accepting it. Like if someone's like, Oh, thank you so much for what you did. Just be like, Oh yeah, I received that fully because it actually nourishes me if I let it in. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving on, we are going to be talking about the process of what I think is basically the next six steps of the 12 steps, which is make a, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects and characters. This one I think is, it, it kind of pulls into what we're going to be talking about later, but humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I think both of six and seven in this steps are both very much like grace and making yourself empty to be receive, you know, either that or forgiveness are, are kind of what we're seeing in six and seven. But moving on to eight, made a list of all the persons we had harmed, become willing to make amends with them all, made direct amends to, to such people wherever possible, except when doing so would, would cause them injury, um, and continued to make a personal inventory when we were wrong and uh, were promptly, basically promptly admitted it. So this to me is the shadow work. This to me is looking at yourself very clearly, seeing yourself for what you have done what your part in the, in the drama triangle has been. And also it's not, it's both ways, right? Because with the 12 steps, you're taking full responsibility for every, all the harm that you have taken with the drama triangle. It could be more complicated because a lot of shadow work involves your forgiveness of other people as well. Right. You could take it and just say, I'm going to take responsibility for everything, but that could also be a bit of a rescuer mentality, right? To just be like, I'm just going to take responsibility for it all. It could be liberating to say that, but at the same time, it could feel not as great. So that's where, that's where the shadow work in this section, I feel like can be put into three different categories is the way that I like to say it is the past, the present and the future. And I think that those, those one, those steps that I was talking about does that. So what I wanted to talk about first was about shadow work in the past. There are one, there's an exercise that they do in one of these books that I really enjoy, which is what I is create a list and on one side of the list, say what I wanted and didn't get. And on the other one, you say what I didn't want and I got right. Bring it well, it's close. going into, it's going into Buddha says that there's three forms, three causes of suff human suffering, aversion, craving, and ignorance. So ignorance is not understanding the relationship or seeing what's there and being aware of the subtle truths. And then aversion is not wanting what is there and craving is wanting what isn't there. Right. And so there you go. So what I wanted and didn't get is craving and what I didn't want and I got is aversion. So it's basically taking an inventory of your past to say, what was I craving and what was I, what, you know, what craving did I have? Uh, that was never fulfilled and what aversion did I have that was fulfilled maybe over and over and over again. So once you create this list, what you can do is you can go through each point of first, let's start with the first one, which is what I wanted to get, what I wanted and didn't get. This is, this is very reflective of a lack, a scarcity. It could lead to you to having a scarcity mentality thinking that you never have enough of stuff. 
Um, and it's very much falls into the victim category of like what I want and didn't get. So now I'm going to try and fall into the victim so that I can get my needs fulfilled by being the victim. Um, and it also comes from not asking what you need, like whatever you need, you were maybe taught that you can't directly ask for what you need and that you needed to use other tactics to manipulate it. So we use the example in a past episode about sickness, about how maybe you just needed to be able to see your parent because you never saw them because they were always busy. So you get sick and then they stay home from work to take care of you. And suddenly you're seeing your parent and that's an indirect way because you, you've been taught that, or you've been taught that you're not allowed to ask them for time with you. And so, you know, not asking directly for your need is what I wanted and didn't get. So, okay, I had to go sick. I had to get sick all the time. So what you can do is once you've created this list, you can go through each of them and you can say, you can find out who can fulfill those needs now. Now there's a trick to this. This could be external people. This could be people who you have relationships with, or you could become the parent or you could become the person who fulfills all of your needs which creates a self-sustaining piece, right? Anna, you've done some really good work on that. Doing what we could call the reparenting and like figuring out what you need and giving it to yourself. You know, Marissa Peer, when we discussed that hypnotherapist, she talks so much about the voice, the most important voice in your life is your own voice. And we give so many other people so much more credit or power, but really like it's your internal voice that matters the most. So- what you tell yourself that matters the most so give yourself what you need yeah yeah and I remember all of those after all the wounds I feel like the final lesson for every wound was that nobody can reject me right right no one can really ever hurt you so maybe the conclusion if you go deep enough is okay if I can find someone to fulfill my needs maybe it's that I'm always the person who can fulfill my needs or that mm-hmm. no one can take away what I need or something along those lines. I don't know. See where that exercise takes you. Yeah, I agree with that though. Next, what I didn't want and what I got, I think is a, one of the, uh, the exercises that the, they suggest with this is to do the double chair, which I really enjoy doing. I do this a lot with my clients is when you sit, you basically put two chairs in a room and if you're, in a place where you can't do that, then you can simply kind of try and change from one persona to the next, but it's easy to do it with the two chairs. And in one chair, you can be yourself. And in the other chair, you can be the person who you need to forgive, or you could be your higher self. That's the one I do a lot is I basically get it so that people can hear their voice of their higher self and like recognize that they can channel that voice anytime they want. And you basically just tell that person how you feel, even if they're not there. And then you go into the other chair and you kind of take on their persona And you take on how you think that they would respond or how you think that they would feel to you telling them what you've told them. And to me, it's a very non-destructive way of doing it because you can, it's a very healing and forgiving way of doing it without having to actually pull the person into a room to talk to them directly. Um, I'm not a therapist and obviously therapists may have other thoughts about this, but this one works really well for me. Um, The other thing is obviously forgiveness episodes. So episode 14 from last season, season. One, episode 14 yes yep episode 14 Pono and forgiveness of things that I got and I did not want so all the aversion pieces and so then you know moving on from the shadow work we talk about the present 
And then the present, it's about how can I recognize and observe what I'm doing right now to perpetuate this in my life? Am I recognizing when I'm rescuing um, things along those lines? Anna, do you want to talk about that? Um, as we have mentioned in the previous episode, Chris and I had a big fight, big argument, and my role in it to just explain the drama triangle from a rescuer point of view is that I will do this thing that I believe a lot of people can relate to, which is I don't want to rock the boat, boat and I don't want to voice my needs and I don't want to be a nuisance to someone or I don't want to put someone out. So I will rescue them from the annoyance of my needs. I will rescue them from um, actively asking for their participation and helping me or doing something and I'll just do it for them. And then what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'm rescuing them from from I'm rescuing them from my requests essentially. And so I swallow my needs and I try to help them or do things for them. And then what happens is I have PMDD, which means that when I get hormonal, this dragon comes out of me and she's like, no, I am enough. Like I am fucking enough to have my needs met. And this person didn't meet my needs. And now I'm going to throw all the resentment at them, I'm going to convert my rescuer energy into perpetrator energy and say, look at all this shit you didn't do. Look at all that I've done for you. And then I play the victim card. So it's a, it's like a question of swallowing, 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 don't rock the boat, don't rock the boat. And then it's just explosion for me. It's, it's timed perfectly with my hormones. I think maybe for people who don't suffer from the hormonal thing, they might still see it anyways, you know, just like, not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to rock the boat. Well, now I feel like I've completely flipped the boat over. <laughs> I, or now I need to flip the boat over because right. it's just not going in the direction I want at all. So I am making a daily commitment to myself. I actually bought myself a necklace that to me is a representation of my, it's a Medusa necklace and it's a representation of how I become during my PMDD days, which is I turn into like a Medusa. I want to turn everyone into stone and this wrath comes out of me to destroy. And so I'm wearing the necklace to remind myself, like if I can stop playing rescuer card all month, if I can voice my needs and be okay with them not being met or not, but just at least voicing them, then maybe I'll avoid turning into Medusa. You know, that turning into the perpetrator. Medusa to me, it represents the ultimate perpetrator. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to do is like, I wear this necklace and I I hold it and I try to remind myself I am worthy of asking for my needs to be met. Like I am enough. The, that's I'm doing the Marissa Peer course and it's all about, I am enough. She says, say, tell yourself in mirror work and tell yourself I am enough because saying I love myself might be a lie. But I am enough is not a lie. And so your mind is not going to reject that. Saying I love myself or I'm a goddess or I'm amazing, your mind might find fault in that. They might find like loopholes of not believing it. But I am enough. There's no, there's no way I can counter that. So I just hold my necklace and I tell myself I am enough. I'm enough to ask for my needs to be met. I am enough not to play the rescuer card. I'm enough not to fall into this quote unquote trap of of snaring someone into being rescued that they don't even know they're being rescued because it's all going on in my head. They don't want to be rescued. (laughs) They don't want to be rescued and I'm doing all this bullshit and then I explode on them. So yeah, that's how I'm like actively, 
actively trying to not play rescuer because for me being a rescuer is is about not being enough not letting not my my voice not being important enough to be heard yeah yeah and and from the I have a lot of rescuer tendencies too I do the same thing that Anna does but mine is not on my cycle and I'm when I was reading all this stuff last night I was like oh here comes the next here comes the next part wave of this lesson is how do I stop being a rescuer as well. But, um, it's interesting cause I feel like if you're on the opposite side, if you have someone who, you know, has this pattern very strongly, what you can see is that you may need to check them. Like they may be trying to rescue you and you need to say, no, I don't want this. Like, even if your pattern says, oh yeah, sure. Well, I get like, I, I literally every single time that I've even hinted that Anna is trying to rescue me, I'm like, are you trying to rescue me? Are you going to be resentful for this? I'm like checking her every single time with all of the different stuff. And I'm, you know, Anna, I'm obviously trying to learn all this. So, um, hopefully I like am gentle enough with it, but it, it's very, I think it takes someone who's willing to recognize their pattern but it also like if you're in a relationship it, it also takes it takes time to break this pattern and you have to be aware that it doesn't change overnight and therefore it's your responsibility if you're on the on the receiving side of the rescuing to be like hey let's make sure that this is this is really coming from a place of like you're doing it because you want to do it not because you feel like you have to do it or you're doing it because you actually really don't want to do it at all and I think that that's a really important part of this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Having you kind of check in and uh, notice my rescuing bullshit and calling me out on it or not even call me out on it, but just questioning me like, Hey, do you really want to do that? Like I was going to change my schedule up to record this and it would have not been what I wanted to do, but I was willing to do it. And she's like, do you really want to do that? And I'm like, you know what? No, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where we talk about the surrendered masculine. Okay. So this is a perfect example of that. Because I asked the question, because what we're going to talk about in a minute is how you can transform these roles from like being the persecutor into being the challenger. So in this particular case, I just demonstrated like in that case, for me saying, what is your intention, Anna? Like when you want to change the schedule to record, what is your intention? Do you really want to do this? Or are you trying to rescue? And by me taking on that challenger role, I can then help Anna say, um, she's not going to be the rescuer anymore. And she's going to tell me directly what her needs are. And we accommodate that. Right. And that's how that works. And so far, like when I voice my needs with you or my husband, like they're met and I'm sure there's going to be times when they can't be met. So like, it's been like, it's been like a really positive experience for me because I've been the person who doesn't really voice my needs or ask for help or ask externally for things. Um, and, and you guys are like, you know, you and Eric are like, totally like, yeah, I can help you with that. Yeah. I can do that with, for you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so easy. But I know eventually, like, eventually I'm going to ask for something the person can't deliver it. And I'm, and I'm curious, like how I'm going to be with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a whole new well, process, disappointment too, you know, and disappointment <laughs> is part of life. And, and, you know, and, and, and I think like, as I practice this more and more, when it, when it does happen that that person can't meet that need or help me in the way that I want to be helped, I can see it more just of like a disappointment of circumstance and not a, I'm a victim, you know, cause there's a big difference between seeing an, 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 an observing ac- actions as actions 
And then observing actions as the victim. Like an example would be cheating, infidelity. Like, you know, someone's like, oh, so-and-so cheated on me. I am the victim. I'm less, I'm less than the woman he cheated on. I am the let me make a whole story about it. No, like actually, no, that person wanted a different experience. That person had a, a cheating karma or an infidelity karma. And it was actually everything to do with that person who cheated and nothing to do with the person who was cheated on, you know, but, but the person cheated on turns it into a whole story about them and the victim. And so what I'm trying to say is I think as we can come out of the drama triangle more and more, we can see more objectively that like people are doing what people are doing. Cause that's their karma and that's their story. That's their story. And it's not personal. We don't have to take it personally. We don't have to turn ourselves into the victim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a, that's a really good insight with that, right? Because ultimately if you, as the person, if you're, if, if Anna's meeting her needs and if all of a sudden we meet every single one of her needs, even though then we can turn into the rescuers, right? And then we can reverse the entire thing because then we can be like, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, like as long as everybody in the relationship is doing what they feel, and what they want to do and there's what no they want to do triangle yeah. stuff and they're and they're having their needs met like that's where we come to this that's this level of cooperation that we're talking about we talked about individuation in episode two of the series uh and what we talked about there is how you move from going from bonding uh through to separation which is that separation anxiety and then you go into mastery and cooperation so the whole idea is that you may be doing something that you don't want to do anything for, but we're not, we're not five-year-olds anymore. We're not like my, you know, my, we're not like my three and four-year-olds when they were that age in the sense that, yes, we may not want to do something, but we recognize that we are in a cooperative relationship with somebody else. And therefore, if someone else is directly expressing their needs, especially during this process of recovering from this, from the drama triangle, that's our role is to find and to emulate cooperation, but then also say, okay, that's your need in this situation. And this is my need. So in the same, so to bring back up the same thing with the scheduling, Anna had a need to be able to do something because um, she didn't. Want, and, and I had a need to not have a bunch of different hours recording in the middle of the day when I wanted to be with my kids. Right. So mm -hmm. it, we had to meet in a cooperative place to say, okay, yeah, it's early right now, but this is meeting my need of wanting to be with my kids on my day off. And, and your need of wanting to be where you are right now. So that's, that's the, I mean, everyone's like, we understand cooperation. Maybe what you yeah, think. We, we found a solution that worked yeah. for both of us versus me playing rescuer or me playing rescuer. Right. right. And me saying, Oh, sure. Let, let's, let's record three hours in the middle of the day and not saying that it's actually going to make me really pissed off about it because I don't want to, because mm -hmm. I want to be with my kids, you know? So, so that's, um, you know, <laughs> We could say any grade school person knows how to cooperate, or you could say, actually, most of us haven't learned that yet when it comes to a lot of our relationships, which is why 70% of us are still kind of in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. um, so moving on, we're going to go quickly through the rest of the 12 steps, and then we're going to move on to what I was talking about in terms of the inner drama triangle, but also the challenger and the coach, which is what I alluded to earlier. So next within the 12 steps, I've kind of translated into those those two that I was talking about, that uh, six and seven were, were ready uh, to have God remove all our defects and characters, and we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. This to me is grace. So the idea of 
becoming empty to everything that's in your personality, like to, to be, not becoming empty to everything in your personality, but basically being becoming an empty vessel so that you can receive the grace of a higher power, right? That you can mm-hmm. recognize that as much as you may do work on this in a conscious form, that ultimately perhaps there's a higher power, whether that's your higher self or whether that's a godlike figure for you or whether that's universal consciousness that makes it so that you are able to receive whatever grace or insight is available, is available to help you through it. Um, because it can be a lot to slog through it. I can tell you that. Um, and so what also you'll notice in this is we, at the end of every episode, we say humility, acceptance, gratitude, done. And I believe that the rest of the 12 steps are kind of those three things in a nutshell. We say humility is I've done wrong. I've made the inventory, right? Yeah. Well, number seven is literally, I humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. And then, yeah, you've made the, you've made the inventory. You've, you've looked at yourself. You've looked at your, you've looked at, you've done your shadow work. You've looked at all the stuff that, that was either you've experienced or that you perpetuated yourself. And then you make direct amends with people. That's, that's the ultimate humility, right? That's the ultimate humility of, of, of experiencing that you made direct amends with people wherever possible, except when it would do harm to injure people. And you continued to take a personal inventory. And when you were wrong, you promptly admitted it. That is humility, right? And so number 11 is sought uh, through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood it, praying uh, only for knowledge of its will for us and to carry and the power to carry that out. And then number 12 is having had an spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other people and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So the acceptance and humility are all wrapped up in, okay, I accept that I am in a place where this is where I am right now. I'm not going to beat myself up and perpetuate an inner drama triangle just because I fell off. Like, so for me, that RV story where the RV is backing up and I'm falling into victim, like 100%. I just had to accept it. It took a couple of days to get out of the mentality for sure. Like it, but at the same time, it was just like, I just had to accept where I was and just be like humble that I'm not perfect at this yet. And I accept where I am. And also how I pull gratitude into that is very much so like you have gratitude for the awareness of this. Like, that's what I'm keep great being grateful for all over and over and over again. Is that like, I feel like I can finally be a mature parent and I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm so, so grateful for that. And 12 talks about having a spiritual awakening and we mentioned insight in the primal wounds, but Anna, do you want to say something more about insight? Because I feel like that's that spiritual awakening, that like dawning of realization or wisdom that. But insight is like, there's three types of insight, which we discussed, which is the aha moment, like immediate. And, and, you, and you can always correspond insight with transformation. So if you've truly understood something, truth will transform you. And you can see that in an, in a decrease in intensity, duration, and frequency of your unwanted reactions or behaviors. Right. So there's the three types of insight would be like the immediate one where you're like, aha, I get it. And you like viscerally feel it, the truth and all that. The second one is gradual. 
gradual spiritual awakening, you gradually come to recognize truths. And the third one is called retroactive or retrospective, where like you don't necessarily have this big aha moment. But when you look back at your life, when you look back at the last few months since you started your processing of whatever, you can see that there are, have been shifts in your behavior and your and your reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to now go into, those are the 12 steps and those are how you can kind of go through your drama triangle using the 12 steps with a bit of a, a the spiritual fixed twist of using humility, acceptance and gratitude and grace and doing your shadow work and surrendering. Um, but we're going to go briefly into what is from this workbook, which I absolutely love, which is transforming the inner drama triangle uh, self-abuse and the inner drama triangle workbook is what it is. Before we go into the inner drama triangle, we're just going to take a quick break from a sponsor. Hi, Christina, co-host of This Spiritual Fix. Has listening to our podcast stirred up something for you with the primal wounds? The good news is, is you have access, and that is the first step to transforming these wounds. We created support packages to help you through this process, and they're available on our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com. These packages were designed by Anna and I, combining techniques and hacks from our own experience working through our own wounds. Each packet contains a workbook and two meditations, one about forgiving those who have wounded you, including yourself, and one about reprogramming old beliefs. You can buy an individual support package or for those next level processors, all five packets, abandonment, injustice, rejection, betrayal, and humiliation. Available on our website in our shop. And we're back. And we're going to be talking about the inner drama triangle. And I think this is really interesting. And then we're also at the end, we're going to hear from Anna about her insight that she had by going to the council last night. And um, I talked before about the sacred marriage between the divine feminine and the divine masculine. So one of the things that they talk about, and I think this is a really, really useful thing, is they talk about how the in your own mind, but also in your relationships, how you can transform the victim can turn into the creator, the rescuer, the coach, and the persecutor, the challenger. And one of the things that I enjoy about this uh, workbook that I've been using is that the author uses the term the tender, vulnerable part for the victim. Because she recognizes that ultimately the victim wants their needs met. And when we're in the drama triangle, the victim is, is in a place in which they're trying to manipulate others to get what they want. But ultimately, underneath that victim, there is a tender, vulnerable part of us that has needs that need to be met. Right? And I think that that's a really important thing. And it kind of really speaks to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is like, Anna's like, hey, we can never get out of this. That has a bigger <laughs> ramification. But it also has the understanding. But I'm going to explain what I meant by that eventually. Yeah, but, 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 but the way that I really enjoy this is that we're not trying to get rid of these parts of us, right? We're, we're, we're accepting them and having gratitude for them, but we're taking, we're redirecting their energy from instead of taking away other people's energy by basically doing this drama triangle, which is, you know, ultimately, you know, we're either trying to get rid of our pain or we're trying to um, take energy or pass on energy or any of these different things are what can be done when you're in this really toxic part of the drama triangle. But beneath it, all of these personas, the victim, the, the rescuer and the persecutor, they all have skills and they all have 
and, and especially the victim, the tender vulnerable part has needs, right? And, and that is really important for us to recognize. And right. I think that, and, and that's what I enjoy about um, the way that she approaches this is because these are all voices in our heads. And, and it's, it's just like a song that gets stuck in your head. If you try and get rid of it, it's, never, it's not going yeah. anywhere. I think I can't, I'll paraphrase this, but Matt Kahn says something like the greatest misunderstanding of humankind is not the separation from God. That's they talk about in the course of miracles. It's the belief that there are parts of you that need to be purged. Mm. That there are parts of you that need to be excommunicated. Like, like we don't want anyone listening to this and being like, Oh my gosh, the drama triangle. I don't want to play victim or rescuer or persecutor. Like, fuck that. There's one more part of me to hate and one more part of me to banish. Mm -hmm. Like, no, like, like this is part of life. Accept it and, 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 and take the energy of them and turn them into something beautiful. And when you can't, that's also okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's the, that's the acceptance and the humility humility and the acceptance of where you are now to recognize that you don't go out. So even when I was talking about all the 12 steps before, if I talk about exiting the drama triangle, what I'm talking about is exiting that toxic energy exchange, right? Because there are ways of occupying these spaces in the same way of being helpful and not being the rescuer, right? Of being, of, of, of commanding structure, and not being the persecutor and of having needs and not being the victim. Right. I, I have a beautiful quote that I read and it's a Chinese proverb and it says, he who blames others has a long way to go on his journey. He who blames himself is halfway there. He who blames no one has arrived. Oh, yeah. No, that's so awesome. I really yeah. like that. Um, we yeah. are not the doing, we are being done. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so one of the things that I really enjoy in this is that I'm going to go through through all of the three different types and how you can become the, the kind of tender, vulnerable part that needs the creator from the tender, vulnerable part, the coach from the rescuer and the challenger from the persecutor. And one of the ways that I really love about this too, the book, the way that it describes it is that it describes how each of these areas can have projections of themselves because to just describe that a little bit is that oftentimes when we get into these places, especially in the inner drama triangle, but in mother and in other ways as well, where we've been triggered by something, right? A situation that reminds us of some unhealed part of ourselves may be the reason that we enter into this. So I can assume using my same ridiculous RV story that I felt Luke was not looking out for my safety, which is definitely something that I felt many times in my life. And it triggered me to say like, oh, well, you didn't care if I got run over, right? I can tell you that that was an emotional flashback for me. Like right now, I can tell you that that's an emotional flashback. And one of the things that this workbook talks about is emotional flashbacks and recognizing when you are in an emotional flashback, which is to describe it, it basically is like, it's, it's basically like going back to whatever age or whatever memory and however you felt in that situation. It's completely out of bounds in terms of the experience itself, right? There was no intention on my husband's part to ignore me. He didn't actually even come close to running over me or the dog, but it came so close to that situation. I went into emotional flashback where I may have actually been in danger. I can't tell you what the emotion is. I can't tell you what the feeling was about it, but I can tell you that it brought me back into that. So I started projecting onto him intent 
to say you tried or, or you completely neglected me or you did this. I started projecting my feelings onto him to perpetuate my own drama triangle in that situation, right? To, or to perpetuate my own role as the victim, right? Because if Luke had basically said to me, oh, I'm so sorry, uh, I thought I, I could see you and I knew that I wasn't going to run over you. Um, I'm sorry you got scared about that. You know, if he had said that, but he was obviously in the middle of doing something else, he was distracted. But if he had said that, then I could have, if I'd been projecting, I may not have even heard that, right? Because to me, I was projecting a situation that put me further and further into my emotional flashback, that put me further and further into the victim role, because that's what I knew and that's what I love. So, you know, one of the things we talk about when recognizing this is this is another tool to say, okay, am I projecting, am I actually projecting more drama into this situation because I'm actually experiencing something that is unhealed inside of me and I'm bringing it up to today or it happened in a past life or something along those lines. And so that's one of the key things with recognizing um, and how to transform into the creator, the coach and the challenger is to recognize when you are projecting. I have a wonderful quote from Don Miguel Ruiz and it says, don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. So let's get into the nitty gritty here as we finish up. What is it that a creator does? A creator, instead of a victim, looks at the nature of the situation and make sure that they are not in a projection. Projections for the tender vulnerable part or the victim looks like he or she kicks me when I'm down. It's basically projecting intent onto somebody else, just like I did in that situation with the RV. She's compassionate with others, but not with me. What the hell? The way she's treating me is shocking. What, do, what she does to me is overwhelming. These are all the victims. These are all the projections of what we're saying. But what comes behind those is you have needs. And as the creator, you create the space that says that I actually have a need, right? So I actually have a need that that's here. So maybe she kicks me when I'm down is I'm actually uncomfortable and I can't do anything about it. So as the creator, I recognize my projections. I recognize when I'm basically projecting my feelings onto somebody else or intense onto other people. I'm taking myself out of a position of power, but the creator is the ultimate power maker. They, the creator is able to create something from nothing and they're able to get their needs met. So you say, how can I now directly get my needs met? But I wanted just to say that like, what if, okay, you're in a relationship mm -hmm. and someone does X, Y, or Z that makes you feel like a victim. All right. There's an element of how much of it is your story and how much of it is that, what did you Fla call Emotional it? flashback? emotional flashback, yeah. like how much of it is emotional flashback and how much of it is that person actually just doesn't even care. Mm -hmm. Like, like a good example could be, well, the cheating one is just too obvious. And like, that's just like a, an obvious deal breaker for some people. But like, let's say for example, washing dishes mm -hmm. or, or that's like a benign, oh, but not, it's a benign thing, but, but like, let's just, cause a lot of drama dishes. washing dishes. I think that's a great example. Yeah. Okay. So let's say use washing dishes as an example. Like, let's say that you say to your partner, I feel like a victim, you know, or let's say you go into victimhood when they leave their dirty dish 
out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You might be more emotionally charged about that than really than really the situation. Objectively, the person left a dirty dish out and you will have turned it into this whole story that they're taking advantage of you and they're out to get you and you're the victim. But it's important to recognize that if you voice your pain to some your partner or someone you care about and they don't try to make changes to stop doing that, then you also have to ask yourself, I mean, okay, it's, it's just like a tough situation. I don't know how to put this into words. It's like when you're in a relationship with someone and they're constantly making you feel like a victim and they're doing, making no effort mm. to meet the need, that need, when did you say enough is enough? Because yes, yes, we do play the drama triangle. We do project, we do create bullshit out of bullshit, but like someone who gaslights you, so easy for them to be like, no, I just left the dish out and you're creating this big deal out of nothing. This comes from your past. This comes from your own bullshit. You need to go to therapy. Like this is all you. And they don't try in any way to be like, wow, this really hurts my partner. I'm going to make an effort to put my dish up. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I like, totally know what you're saying. Yep. And, and in fact, sometimes on TikTok, if I'm not logged in, I get like the most popular thing that's there. And yesterday I saw one that kind of triggered me a little bit, maybe put me into an emotional flashback, but it was like, it was this TikTok where this man went around his house specifically doing the things that pissed off his wife. And then she would come into the room, like he like left all the cabinets open. And then she would come in the room and she'd be like, how could you do this? But she was like, not actually upset she was like i think she obviously it was like staged you know he wasn't like actually doing it and i would be curious to be what her real reaction was but he was purposely trying to piss her off with all the things that that made the house untidy and made it so that she did not like it like there are you know some ideas of toxic masculinity that say like oh a woman's desire to keep the house clean is not actually something that i want to abide by so i'm actually going to purposely do something again you then question, is this really the partner you want? Right. Or let's say you're with a partner who always, who often forgets birthdays or anniversaries. Is that a deal and breaker? They, is that a deal breaker? Right. Right. I guess going back, is it a deal breaker? But the, but the point is, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yes, we do project victimization on obscure, maybe benign events. We do. But if your partner or the or your friend or your brother or your father whoever does not make active means to to respect that or or maybe to help that and that's eh. not cooperation that's not cooperation you're, because you're if operating with someone who is not cooperating anna when you wear yellow shirts you know, I have these emotional flashbacks of this very traumatic thing that happened when I was, you know, a chick child with the color yellow. When you wear yellow, it just tends me into a tizzy. And I could be like, what the hell? I should get to wear whatever I want to wear. And I get to wear yellow if I want to wear yellow. Like you could have that stance or I could have the stance like, okay. Although it makes no sense. Although it is completely random. She doesn't like the color yellow. If I love her, I'm not going to wear the color yellow around her, you know? What, you know, you might not agree with what your partner is saying that when they feel victimized, but like, if you love somebody, wouldn't you show you care and, and, and cooperate in them overcoming that? Yeah. I just want to put that out there because I think people who get gaslit often might could listen to this episode. And then next time their partner does some asshole behavior, then the narcissist turns around and makes you think it's your fault and that you're just in the victim consciousness. 
it's very easy to fall into that. Well, maybe I am, but, but you got to understand your partner, if they care about you and they want to cooperate, these things should not keep coming up. Yep. Yep. And it's, and it's a two-way street. Again, it's again with a cooperation because if you are, I, I describe some people as minefields because they have so much that triggers them. Like you can't wear a yellow shirt on Tuesday and then you can't wear a red shirt on Wednesday and then you can't wear a blue shirt on Thursday. And if that person is not doing the work to recognize those triggers, that's also a part of the cooperation thing, right? Because if you're going to be a minefield and you're going to get set off with every little thing, then I would say that, you know, there's work to be done there too. There's work to be done there too. Um, I think it's important that everybody in the, in the spirit of cooperation does their part, right? To recognize they have things. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot in our culture that says that you can't actually undo triggers, but I don't believe that. Um, because I've undone mine. So yeah, yeah. I've done done plenty. I disagree. Okay. All right, cool. The rescuer turns it transforms into the coach. So recognizing the projection of the rescuer, she blames me for every, everything after I've done, after all I've done for him or her, basically after all I've done for him or her, you're always feeling bad because things aren't reciprocating. You're rescuing others and hoping they will return the favor. There's a lot of, she's punishing me, even though I did so much good stuff for her. That's retaliation. Um, they want me to suffer. They're, you know, it's projecting this idea of, of, of basically allowing you to go into the victim place when it does, when you are the rescuer turning into the coach, excuse me, when you're the rescuer projecting. So where do we go from here with the rescuer turning into the coach? Where we go from here is the coach becomes the divine feminine in the relationship in the sacred marriage right so the rescuer says i'm going to fix everything and the coach says what can i do to make you feel just a little bit better right now baby steps are fine when you're a coach what is your true heart's desire how can i help you figure that out how can i hold space for you in this moment right now right you know, if, if I had been with you, Anna, last night when you were upset about the thing you were talking to me about, which had something to do with nothing that had to do with the podcast, is I would have mm -hmm. just been like, okay, I'm holding space for you. You're pissed off. Be pissed off. You're totally, just be it. Just express all mm -hmm. your needs and all your feelings about it. You know, the coach, the coach allows other people to express and does not try to fix them. They can maybe do mm -hmm. little baby steps like, hey. Can I get you a cup of water? Can I get you a tissue box? Something like that. But they're not mm -hmm. trying to fix other people and they're not trying to rescue them from their pain. They are holding space for their pain. They're not trying to enable spiritual bypass. That's right. Right. Ways that you can do, that you can transform this and, and kind of transform into this is, uh, and this is actually a good tool for all of them, is to journal and write down dramatic narratives of what's gone on. Right. So you like get all of the emotion out and you experience the pain in a totally dramatic narrative. And then you recognize your part in it in trying to fix it. Or you recognize your chart as trying to be the victim or being the persecutor in the situation. Um, and you see it from a, a dramatic, a melodramatic perspective. And it can help you gain the observation that you need to say, okay, I actually feel this way about this, even though it seems really strong and seems really hyperbolic. And, and that's a really good way to move into that space. So the co coaches in general are, they are tuned, they're present, they allow, they receive without resistance or judgment, 
and they are aware of emotions and they ask again, how can I make this a little bit better? What's your heart's desire? They, re they recognize and embody that divine feminine and they never try and take it away another person's pain. Right? Because ultimately you can't. Someone's pain is their own sankaras coming up in their own body and you cannot do anything to take away someone's sankaras. Like you can't, you just can't, right? It's going to have to express itself in its body anyway. And changing external events is, is, is not purposeful for that. All right. And then last, we're moving from the persecutor to the challenger. So the persecutor language that you can recognize, you always do this. You never do that. You obviously... What's wrong with you? You're a piece of shit. Oh, God, who says that? <laughs> I feel like maybe I've wanted to say that in the past. Here, let me do that for you. You obviously weren't paying attention when they were giving the instructions. Uh, things like that are examples of how you can recognize the projection of the persecutor. And how you change is the challenger, and we've already demonstrated this in the episode, but the challenger provides much-needed guidance, leadership, and structure, helping the TVP... So the tender, vulnerable part, the victim, or the transformation of the victim, find safety, relieve pain, that's relative in the sense of maybe relieve physical pain, and replace abuse with clarity. So you're helping the, the victim mentality or the, the TVP, as we call in this one, replacing the abuse with clarity to say, okay, this is how you feel about it. The, the, reviews is, the abuse is giving you an emotional flashback, and how can we move you out of that? and provide the structure that you need to ask the questions. So they hold us accountable. They hold us accountable for making sure that we are paying attention and we are doing our work, right? This is what we were talking about in terms of like, if you, if you have a million different triggers, the challenger in your life is the person who's like, have you done your work today? What is your intention in doing this? Questions the challenger asks is, what is your intention here? In your most empowered moments, what have you learned? about your, what your parents didn't teach you and what your younger self never knew. It's a very strong voice that is actually challenging you to look at your issues and do your shadow work. So, yeah. Okay, can you give an example then of like, let's say, use the benign example or the objective example of the dirty dish. Mm -hmm. If someone leaves the dirty dish on the counter after promising that they would put their dish away, how can you approach that in a non-persecutor way, but a challenger way? What I think it would come down to is, is if it becomes a systemic issue in the moment, I would say that it would be, I don't know the answer to that yet. <laughs> I don't know what you would do because if you were like, what is your intention here? And you're pointing to the dish, then you're just becoming the persecutor. You're not actually, you know, you're using the persecutor mask with, with challenger language. What I would say is that it takes a conversation to sit down and say, this is really important to me that everyone does is their dishes. And I recognize that you don't want to do your dishes. Can I understand your intention behind it? And basically having a outside the heat of the moment, having a conversation and sitting down with your partner and being like, can we look at this? Because this is something that I am saying is very, very important to me. And if they're like, well, my parents always made me do the dishes and I'm an adult now and I don't want to do them now. Like, I don't care. Like I'm married I won't say, I won't be triggering a patriarchy like I married someone who would do it for me, but I just don't like putting it in my dishes because it makes me feel like a child and it makes me feel like I don't have any power. Okay. So as the challenger, as a coach, you listen to that, right? You turn into that, the, the coach and you're actually listening to the person tell you all that. And then as a challenger, you say, okay, so 
understanding that we are in a cooperative relationship. What is your, what, what are you, what do you know now that you didn't know then, or what can you seek to learn? Or what is your, you know, basically saying, okay, I'm going to receive all this information and now I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to challenge you to say, you know that this is incredibly important to me. What are what steps are you going to do to recognize and un and unpick that trauma that exists within you about putting up your dishes and do it? Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you? Agree I, with that? I can't imagine that conversation going smoothly. But I'm just curious. That's why I feel like it has to be out of the heat. It's because part of me is like, well, fuck. Then why does she? Why? Why does the partner? have to wash your you know how much you hated washing dishes as a kid why should your partner have to do yours too now <laughs> you know i mean well that's the thing right because that's that's i mean yeah. no but you know yeah. persecutor and that is, that is yeah so anna tell us about the council what happened to the council last night oh okay so usually what i like to do is give myself a past life regression to understand deeper meanings but i was like any past life regression i do on the drama triangle is just going to be in the drama triangle. Like, I don't want to be in the drama triangle. I want to understand the drama triangle, like from an outsider's perspective. So when you do past life regression, sometimes you go to this life between life state. There's a book where they, I think they actually call it the life between life between life state. And I have to apologize. My dog is barking in the background, but in the, I went, I wanted to go to the life between life state, which can sometimes be like a tribunal of angels where basically you discuss your, your soul contracts, like what are you going into the next life to learn? And like, who are you choosing to learn the lesson with, or just reflect upon your previous life? I'm calling it the tribunal. I don't know what it is, but instead of going to a past life regression, I just made the intention. Like I wanted to go to the tribunal. Okay. I put myself in a hypnotic state and I went to the tribunal and I got there and I've said, Hey guys, <laughs> it was like a council. And I'm like, Hey guys, I want to understand more about the drama triangle what message can you give me that I can take to earth to help me understand or help us, you know, understand and come out of the drama triangle? And the answer I got was very interesting. They said to me that, you know, when you're not in a human body, you have this omnipotent, all-powerful state. Like you can create anything out of anything and you don't need anyone and you don't need anything. Like you, it's all at your disposal. You're like, you're like in touch with your all powerful creator self in when you're not in the body, but when you're in the body, you are confined and you do have needs that need to be met by others or by the environment, or you need collaboration. Like the body itself survives off of food, which is a collaboration with nature, you know, like just being in a human body means you don't necessarily have that same omnipotent autonomy power creation that you do when you're not in the body. Right. I relate to that. So they said, <laughs> yeah. So they said to me, they said, um, they said that for every craving, there is an equal and opposite aversion. So like for as much as you, you know, you want something, you equally don't want something like you can't, you, you have equal amount of aversion and craving in you. So when you desire to take form in the human body, that is a craving. There is a craving that propels the soul into the human body. So there is equally an opposite aversion to the human body. <laughs> so, so just as much as you want it to, the very act of being in the human body means you had a craving to be in the human body, which means you equally have an aversion to be without that power. You have an aversion to being stuck in the human body and not having access to the omnipotent power that you have when you were not in the body. 
So just the very act of being in the human body means you're going to have aversion to your powerlessness of it, Mm -hmm. which is where victim consciousness comes from. Victim consciousness is ultimately this feeling of like, I need other people and I need the environment and I need collaboration to get my needs met. And I have an aversion to that because I came from a place where I didn't need that. Therefore, we can, as long as we are in the human body, we cannot escape victim consciousness because the very act of wanting to be in the human body means we generated a craving, which means equally there is an opposite aversion, which is to say that we're going to fall into victim consciousness until we no longer want to be in the human form, which is what we discussed in the Buddha episode, which is the non-returner. Like when you reach ultimate enlightenment, you no longer come back to the human form. So until you are enlightened, essentially, you will fall into victim consciousness, which means you're going to be playing the game of persecutor, rescuer, victim. And it's okay. It's like, it's okay. It's, it's part of the human experience, part of the human suffering part of existence is to play the victim card. I mean, we, it doesn't mean we can play, we have to play it so strongly, but we can recognize that this is natural. Like I don't need to run from the drama triangle. It is part of life. It is part of being here is negotiating collaboration. And another thing to add to this is um, another thing to like recognize is I kept getting, I keep getting these images of like, you know, when you buy a pair of scissors And the scissors are tied together by like that plastic thing. And so you need scissors to like unclench the handles of the scissors. You need the scissors. You need the thing to solve the thing. And like another example would be like a a machine that, that gauges how much power is in your battery and it's battery operated. It's like the thing itself, the thing is both the problem and the solution in its of itself, you know, like. It's what I'm trying to get at. It's like the scissors tied together that need scissors to untie it. So it's like the solution and the problem are equally one and the same. And that's, and that's kind of like what the drama triangle in life is. It's like the solution and the problem is one and the same. Right. Right. No, that's great. Thank you. And, and hopefully we've kind of expressed over these times that, you know, you can move into a you can move into a higher resonance of these patterns even if you can't accept them you accept you accept where you are you have humility for it you make yourself empty you you do your meditation you do whatever you know you do nothing because you're not the doer of action but you know ultimately you surrender to the experience and the drama in your life decreases even if you're still in victim right. consciousness right like like what they said to me last night I think that next time I'm in my quote unquote, in my victim consciousness stuff, I'm just going to be like, okay, here I am playing the victim card. And that's just a natural part of wanting to be in the human body is I'm going to, this is going to come up and it's okay. And I, and I feel like the charge is going to be less because I'm not going to be caught up in, I'm the victim. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to feel like the victim. I'm going to blame someone else to that, why I feel like a victim and the blaming comes from the persecutor. And that's just going to embed me deeper and deeper into the triangle instead of just recognizing like, okay, I'm playing the victim card. Victim consciousness is part of being here and it's okay. And I feel like that's going to really unanchor me to the drama. Ironically, Mm -hmm. the solution is the problem right? and the problem solution. Yeah. Except where you are 
you accept that you have, you know, whether it's that you're accepting the victim consciousness or you're taking a slightly different approach and you're saying, I accept that I have needs because I'm in a human body. So I accept my tender, vulnerable parts that has needs. And I either right. work to meet them or I, or I, you know, and I express them yeah, or we need I don't. sleep and we need food. I mean, until we transcend those things, yeah. we are in a human form. We are vulnerable. Yep. Yep. All right. That is the end of our series. If you guys have any questions at all, we can do an extra Q and a, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback about everything and thank you so much for listening. We hope you've learned something and good luck with everything. We also recommend you can go back to the forgiveness and insight episodes from last season. If for some reason you've pulled up something that needs some work, uh, the forgiveness episode in particular is really transformational and it's healing. So thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. If you really enjoy us, please be sure to put a review on iTunes and to rate us. That way people can find us and it keeps us on the chart. Thanks so much and have a great week. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.